Good morning. How are we doing? Everybody good? Everybody have a good week? This was kind of a wild week, weather-wise. Try and say that four times fast. It was a wild week, weather-wise. If you were with us, it was, we had some sub-zero temperatures, right? Yeah, white stuff on the ground. Ice today. It's been crazy. And, and you know what? I want to begin this morning by kind of owning up to something. I want to be honest with you guys. I think, you know, starting the new year, honesty is, is, is a good policy. I think we need more honesty and more people owning up to things in this world. If politicians would tell the truth once in a while and own up to some mistakes that they've made, it'd be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? So I'm going to own this. You know, it was a couple of weeks ago. It was 50 degrees out. The sun was shining. And I said it was going to stay like that. Yeah. I was wrong. So all you people that scurried off to Florida or if you are going down there, you're doing the right thing. I get it. But this is a new year, right? And it's it's. I know that a lot of people... 2021, let's just be done with it, right? But it's really a good time to kind of a quick year in review, if you will. And I want to ask a couple of questions, and really they revolve around resolutions. Resolutions. Resolutions um, are something that I'm not really big on. I'm not a huge fan of resolutions. I make a resolution each year not to make any resolutions, I'll give you a minute to think about that, okay? Yeah, doesn't make a lot of sense, but resolutions tend to fall by the wayside pretty quickly. They really do. Anybody know what the average length of time is that people keep their New Year's resolutions? Anybody guess? I heard a lot of numbers out there, and they were really short. You're not giving people much credit. Depending on what you look at, where you, where you look for this information, they say the average is about 32 days. Yeah, exactly. But by February 1st, pretty much all done. So here's my question. Who made a New Year's resolution for 2021? Okay, I want to remind you that it is a sin to lie. No one made a resolution. We got one person that made a resolution for 2021. That's it? Okay. I'm going to pick on you now. <laughs> Did you keep your resolution for 2021? Okay. So you fall in with the majority of people who tend to fall by the wayside. How about for 2022? Anybody make one for 2022? Not a single person. Nobody wants to change anything. Is that what it is? Bunch of perfect people. There you go, right? That's interesting. That's very interesting. But if you had made a resolution, it probably would have been one of those typical resolutions, right? I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to save money or I'm going to pay off some bills. I'm going to get organized. I'm going to learn a new skill. Those are pretty much the typical resolutions that people make. Now, since no one made any resolutions in here, 
I'm not going to ask if anyone made a resolution outside of the norm. But I am going to ask this question. Has anyone ever made a resolution to grow in their knowledge of God? Make a resolution to grow in your knowledge of His Word. Seems to me that that would make sense in light of all that we've learned in this past year, in 2021. If you were with us throughout the year, you probably remember hearing this a number of times. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 tells us that we are to, anybody? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's really not a suggestion. Quite honestly, it is more of a command. We are to grow. And friends, growth is necessary. Growth is necessary for us to remain steadfast. It's how we mature in our faith. And we cannot persevere unless we are continually advancing in our knowledge of God. Learning should be a lifelong pursuit. If you're not learning, you're not growing. If you're not growing, you're dead. So this is what I suggest. And you don't even have to make a resolution to do this. Everybody should be happy about that. What we would like you to do is join us here at Hope Church on this quest for knowledge. See, our goal here is to learn as much as we can about this God of creation, about the God of our salvation. And by doing that, by growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we will be able to stand up for what we know to be true. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to begin this journey of discovery by launching a series of messages on the Holy Spirit. Today and for the next five weeks, we are going to do our best to grow in the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is very important. Don't miss this. Because if you remember, when we studied Colossians this past summer, Paul prayed that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So with our objective being to live a life that pleases God, what Paul says here in Colossians is that the Holy Spirit plays a very important role in this. And we're going to learn a lot more about the how, you know, how the Spirit works and how the Spirit does this in the coming weeks. This morning, I want to begin by focusing on the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And unfortunately, there has been some confusion with regard to the Holy Spirit. Many people, even people that have been in church for years, kind of think of the Holy Spirit as this kind of, ooh, you know, mysterious 
entity that, you know, floats around, ooh, you know. And, and I think a lot of this comes from the old references to the Holy Ghost, right? The Holy Ghost. I remember growing up in South Holland across from McKinley School. I was a Catholic grade school. Holy Ghost. And we were like, ooh, what goes on over there, you know? It was kind of weird, kind of creepy. And then the King James Bible, a lot of references to the Holy Ghost. The Apostles' Creed, the way we used to recite it, said, I believe in the Holy Ghost. And as a young person, it was hard to not think, huh, we believe in ghosts. But the truth is, friends, the truth is we, as part of Reformed theology, believe in a triune God, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three gods in one God, separate yet the same. Now, I understand that this is something that is really difficult for us to comprehend. It's actually beyond our ability to fully comprehend it because we're, we're trying to understand an infinite God with these finite human minds. It's enough to say, as Wayne Grudem puts it in his book, Systematic Theology, it's enough to say that God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is God, and there is one God. That's kind of tough to wrap your mind around all the way. But you know, when we break it down, it's easy to think of the Father as God, right? He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's God. And Jesus, his son, well, we spent a lot of time learning who he was. The book of John helps us to understand that he is, in fact, himself God. He's the Savior of the world. So when we understand the Father and the Son to be God, then the Trinitarian expressions that we see in the Bible, expressions like Jesus from Matthew 28, verse 19, where he tells us to baptize in the name of who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Expressions like that help us to understand that the Holy Spirit is on the same level, the exact same level as the Father and the Son. And there's, there's a lot of other scripture passages that reinforce this idea. In Acts chapter 5, Peter asks Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. So you see what Peter's doing here. He's putting the Holy Spirit on the same level. He's calling the Holy Spirit God. And there's, there's plenty of other scripture references that we, could, that we could go into this morning, but the implication is clear. The Holy Spirit is God. And you're like, amen, preacher, you answered the question, let's go eat. I'm not going to let you off that easy. Because it goes a lot deeper than that. It really does. Yes, the Holy Spirit is God. But you know how the Holy Spirit functions 
also helps us to understand who the Holy Spirit is. And that's going to be the focus of our series as we move forward. Today, I want to briefly look at a passage of Scripture that not only tells us who the Holy Spirit is, but also helps us to understand more about how the Holy Spirit functions. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you want to flip in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to look mainly at verses 6 through 16. 1 Corinthians comes right after Romans. And if you've listened to me before, you know that I'm kind of big on context. So in terms of context, I think it's really important to understand why Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth to begin with. So he wrote this to address divisions within the church and theological confusion about a number of subjects. So what Paul's doing here is he's really providing guidance for dealing with all those issues. And we're going to dig into a few of those as we go through our series. And make no mistake, what Paul writes here is as relevant today as it was back then. This is written for us today because the church, friends, still faces many of the issues that Paul deals with throughout this letter. Now, at the end of chapter 1, Paul is, is, is drawing a distinction between the world's wisdom and the wisdom of God. And really what he goes on to say in the ensuing chapters is that the divisions in the church can all be healed when we come to terms with the difference between these two. On one hand is human wisdom. Knowledge, which is something that the Greeks prized. And remember that Corinth was a Greek city. Human wisdom. On the other side, you have God's wisdom, which Paul refers to as the cross of Christ. Paul says in, in chapter 1, verse 18, that it's foolishness to those who are dying, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God. See, when Paul came to the Corinthian church, he made it clear that he didn't come with eloquence. He didn't come with worldly wisdom. As he says in chapter 2, verse 1, he came proclaiming Christ crucified. His message, his preaching, the Greek word is kerygma, his declaration was a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. So that, as he says in verse 5, faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And in the following verses, Paul teaches us the connection between wisdom and the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, he writes this. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden 
and that God destined for our glory before time began. So Paul here says that this message that he brings, his, his preaching, the kerygma, is Christ crucified. It's a message of wisdom for those who are mature. And really what he's doing is, again, drawing the line between believers, believers and non-believers. And just because Paul is not appealing to the wisdom of the world, that doesn't mean that his message has no wisdom. On the contrary, there's a wealth of wisdom, but it is hidden wisdom. And it's hidden from everyone except followers of Christ. That's why Paul says, not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. And when he talks about rulers here, any guesses who he might be referring to? Talking about the chief priests? Talking about people like Herod and Pilate? They were the rulers of that age. But you know, it goes on to include really all rulers who do not believe in Jesus, who, as Paul goes on to say, are coming to nothing. The English Standard Version says, are doomed to pass away. So why do the rulers of this world not recognize the wisdom of God? As Paul says, it's a mystery. It's been hidden, a sacred secret from all eternity, before creation, before the beginning of time. Hidden, but not inaccessible. It is a secret that is known only by revelation. You know, earlier Paul referred to the wisdom of God as Christ crucified, so this wisdom is now revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ which is exactly what Paul is preaching. In Romans 16, Paul refers to this as the message I proclaim, that's that preaching again, about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. This is a mystery that is revealed. Paul goes on to say in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And again, here Paul's talking about the chief priests and Herod and Pilate, the people that were involved in Jesus' crucifixion. They didn't understand who Jesus was, because if they had, they probably wouldn't have done what they eventually did, and that was crucify him. But that still doesn't tell us how the wisdom of God is imparted to us, how the mystery is revealed. Well, Paul is going to help us to grow in our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is here. He writes this in verse 9. However, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things... God has prepared for those who love Him. And what Paul is doing here is he's quoting from Scripture. He's not quoting directly. He's kind of paraphrasing what we see in Isaiah chapter 66 because he wants to make the point 
that the wisdom of God and His plan is beyond what we can learn on our own. You know, our senses, what we see, what we hear, what we think, they're not adequate. They will not reveal the things that God has in store for us. And when he says the things God has in store for us, this is not necessarily a reference to the future. Now, we know that heaven will be wonderful and that there is a place that is prepared for us, but that's not exactly what Paul is referring to. This speaks to the present. This speaks to the here and now, what God has in store for us in this world. And we know this because in verse 10, Paul writes, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So when Paul says these things, he's referring back to verse 9 where he says what God has prepared for those who love Him. It says He has revealed. This is not in the future tense. It doesn't say He will reveal them to us. It says He has revealed them to us. This mystery, the truth of the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ all revealed to us by whom? The Holy Spirit, right? Only the Holy Spirit can open our eyes to the truth of the gospel. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal to us the truth about Jesus Christ and who He was and who He is. You know, this is something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. When Simeon you remember that story that we read from Luke chapter 2 a few weeks ago? When Simeon saw the baby Jesus, he knew the truth about him. How did he know that? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? It was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that led him into the temple courts that day. And it was the Holy Spirit that revealed to him the truth about this baby, the truth about Jesus, that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. That, friends, only happens by the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal the wisdom of God. And then in verse 11, Paul writes, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. See, again, we don't have the capacity to search the depths of God. It's beyond our understanding. We talked about that a few minutes ago when we said that we cannot fully wrap our minds around the idea of the Trinity. It's beyond our ability to understand fully. But the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God who is in fact God, can not only understand God's mysteries, but that same Spirit, friends, can live in us. That same Spirit can reveal those mysteries to us. Verse 12 says, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. 
So the Holy Spirit reveals, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand. And this wisdom, this wisdom that we receive, again, it's not the wisdom of the world, it is the wisdom of God, revealed by the Holy Spirit, who is from God. In other words, the Holy Spirit, who is, in fact, God. So that, and again, don't miss this, so that we may understand He allows us to more fully understand the things of God, the mysteries of the gospel. And friend, I want you to know that every believer has access to this wisdom. Now that isn't to say that every believer will understand all spiritual things. No, we're still limited by our human minds. And it doesn't mean that we'll all have the same degree of understanding. That isn't necessarily true either. Not all spiritual wisdom is equal. But what it does mean, what it does mean is that every believer can understand the basics of the gospel. The basics of Paul's preaching. The basics of the declaration of of the truth about Jesus. Paul goes on in verse 13 to say, this is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. And when we read this, we, we have to remember that, that Paul is an educated man. Paul is erudite. Paul is sophisticated. Paul studied under Gamaliel. And Gamaliel wasn't just some average rabbi. He was a very prominent member of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. This is Paul's educational pedigree. He's educated. He's sophisticated. But he did not rely on his intellect. Rather, he and the other apostles relied on words given to them by the Holy Spirit. What Paul preached and what Paul wrote for the people of his time, and, and this, is, this is written for us as well, as we said earlier, this is not some invention of human intellect. It's not a, a product of education but it is a revelation from God, revealed by the Holy Spirit. And these spiritual realities, they can only be explained to spiritual people with spirit-taught words. Because, as Paul explains in verse 14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And I think we all understand that, and that, that helps us to understand, and it explains why some people reject the gospel, why some people are exposed to the gospel, yet they reject it. Their eyes are not open. They are not filled with the Holy Spirit. When Paul talks about the person without the Spirit, really what he's, what he's referring to, is, it comes across in other translations as the natural man. 
the natural man, which really speaks to our human nature. It's how we're built. It's our propensity. The natural man is focused on the things of the world, the wisdom of the world. The natural man can't understand spiritual things because his heart is tuned to the things of this world, not the things of God. However, Paul tells us in verses 15 and 16, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. When we are filled with the Spirit, friends, we are equipped, we are able to discern and make good judgments about all things, about all things, both spiritual and non-spiritual, because we have the wisdom of God revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Paul says we have the mind of Christ. We see things from a different perspective. We see things from Christ's perspective. And when we see things from Christ's perspective, everything looks different. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, very very simply, friends, the Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit is on the same level, same par as the Father and the Son. But more than that, the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals to us the mysteries of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals to us and enables us to understand the gift of grace that's bestowed upon us. The Holy Spirit is integral to our faith. We're lost without the gift of the Holy Spirit. We should, friends, seek to learn more about this misunderstood entity we call the Holy Spirit. We should seek to grow in our knowledge. And friends, that is exactly what I'm inviting you to do over the next five weeks. Join us. Join us on this journey of discovery, growing in the grace and knowledge of God, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. And I want to pray that over you guys right now. As we wrap this up, I want to pray the same prayer that Paul preached or prayed for the church at Ephesus. So close your eyes, bow your heads. And I pray that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe.
Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen.